Jin is the is a passive character for the entire first half. So she's kept, she's put in handcuffs seven times in this movie. She just keeps getting captured. Keeps seven? Seven times. She's put in cuffs. Captured over and over and over again. Well, they're handcuffing the character, basically, literally. Yeah, exactly. So what's happening is... Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. Anthony here. And James here. We're going to do some Star Wars today. We're going to talk about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. This was directed by Gareth Evans, written by Chris White and Tony Gilroy. It came out in 2016. It was the first like sort of spinoff, prequel, sequel, new Star Wars movie outside of the nine film franchise that carries the main storyline. On Rotten Tomatoes, critic score it's 84%. Audience score it's 86%. IMDb, it is a 7.8. Metacritic, it is 65%. And it made $1.05 billion at the goddamn box office. And it follows former scientist Galen Erso lives on a farm with his wife and young daughter Jin. His peaceful existence comes crashing down when the evil... Orson Krennic takes him away from his beloved family. Many years later, Galen becomes the Empire's lead engineer for the most powerful weapon in the galaxy, the Death Star. Knowing that her father holds the key to its destruction, Jin joins forces with a spy and other resistance fighters to steal the space's, space station's plans for the Rebel Alliance. We haven't discussed Star Wars in a long time. It's been a minute because, yeah. you know, we, the last one we did, I think, was the prequel trilogy, right? I think so, yeah. That was a blast. Ago, yeah. Such a good time. Now, when does Star Wars Rogue One, a Star Wars story, take place exactly? I'm going to tell you. So, Thanks, man. Chronologically, it happens right before Star Wars Episode Four, Star Wars A New Hope, which was the first Star Wars movie ever released. So it takes place, obviously, right before the scene of the opening scene of that movie. The end scene of this film is the opening of that film. So basically, it's after Star Wars Episode One, Two, Three. It's after The Clone Wars. It's after Solo Star Wars movie. It's after... Uh, Star Wars Rebels, and then obviously it's before Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Mandalorian, and the other uh, the other trilogy. And it was inspired by that. There's that one sentence in the opening scrawl text of A New Hope where it says, like, a band of rebels discovered uh, a plan, in the, a flaw in the Death Star, and that is what this whole movie is centered on, that storyline, who those people were, what that mission was, how they got the information for the Death Star that the uh, the uh, Rebel Alliance used and allowed Luke Skywalker to blow the, el- the hell out of that Death Star in the first film. Now, Lucasfilm visual effects legend John Knoll was the one who came up with this story. He pitched it to Kathleen Kennedy, who was uh, the new f- president of Lucasfilm. and Right went, after the purchase. And it re- yeah. went right into production because she loved it. And Kathleen Kennedy has overseen the entire overhaul of all the Star Wars properties, all the television shows as well. She was uh, leading Disney, but then with the merger, with that purchase, she she ended up overseeing Lucasfilm instead. Including that, she's doing the Indiana Jones movie too, yeah. so she's overseeing that. Yeah, right so now. Lucasfilm does is it, it owns Jones. the Indiana Jones, so she's overseeing that as well. You're right, that's correct. So she's working on that, and I enjoy Rogue One. It's not obviously the best Star Wars movie, but I put it, you know. Top five, probably, if I had to rank them all out, maybe top six or seven. I think it's a very solid addition to the Star Wars franchise. I think it feels really authentic to the original trilogy. It feels a lot like A New Hope. I have that, it feels like that tone and aesthetic. Less humor, obviously. It's darker, it's grittier, it's more serious because I think the whole goal of this film was not only plug holes with. 
things that we wanted to see or we didn't hear much about in past Star Wars films. Obviously, Anthony said, I mean, the whole plot of A New Hope centers around these plans of the Death Star, but how did they get access and obtain the Death Star plans to find that vulnerability and weakness? This whole story is filling in that gap. So, you know, obviously, they're just making it up on the go as they went, <laughs> but um, I still think it worked pretty well, and I enjoy the tone in general of it being dark, but I think aesthetically, I love it. So the reason why we're calling this a debate is because this is a movie that James and I disagree about, one of the rare ones, whereas I, I think it's a, a good movie, but I do not think it's uh, a great movie, and I think it's quite overrated, and we're going to discuss it in this episode. And I'm, again, I'm not saying it's a bad movie, and if you love this movie, I'm happy that you love it. It's, it's if, if, you, if you're into it, so like that's awesome. If you get something out of it, amazing. That's the whole point of watching movies. But for me, when I watch this movie... I've seen it a few times now, and I just have never been very impressed with the the writing. It's what I, my problem with the film is: uh, its writing uh, and its poor use of great actors, and especially the first half of the film. And I'll get into uh, great details uh, about what I have issues with. But the second half of the film is a lot better. But the first half of the film, I think, is all, like honestly kind of a mess. Uh, (laughs) but the film ends well it has a very good ending i think it ends perfectly and sets up its connection to the rest of the star wars story the original film uh, very well and i i was totally satisfied when the film ended but for an hour and a half the first hour and a half watching this movie i was just confused frustrated not impressed um other than the production the production is incredible production design cinematography the actors, I, it's an amazing cast of actors, some really like big stars, super talented actors in these roles. Uh, and I think the entire production team really did a fantastic job making the film. So i got to give them credit where credit's due. True. I respect that opinion. Production-wise, it is phenomenal. I mean, we have Greg Fraser as cinematographer who just won his first Oscar. He obviously did The Batman. He did Dune, Star Wars Rogue One. Uh, as well as several other films. And Gareth Evans, who directed Edwards, who directed this, started off as a visual effects uh, creator and, and animator and then made his own movie called Monsters, where he did the visual effects as well as directing. Then he made Godzilla, and then he got bumped up to do Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And, I mean, it's quite the achievement to make that on basically your, your third film. And Monsters was really good because the way he, fil- he filmed it, very low budget in a bunch of out- outdoor locations, and he he did all the visual effects of the creature designs on his own. But the way he did that was he basically filmed it in a way where the monsters were generally in the background, uh, a little with smoke covering them or mist covering them generally. At night. At night. And also they were generally one long take uh, of shots for each moment. So that way he only has to want, make one special effect as opposed to several if there are several cuts. So he approached it. That initial film he made in a very smart way, and that's why he was able to pull it off so successfully. It's a really cool movie. Yeah, I believe check it, out. it was on Amazon Prime for a while. I'm not sure if it's still on there now, but I definitely recommend checking it out. This film stars Felicity Jones as Jyn Erso, Diego Luna as Cassian Andor, uh, Alan Tudyk as K2S0, Donnie Yen as Shrut Imwei, Baze Malbus is played by Wen Jiang, Ben Mendelsohn is playing Orson Krennic, Forrest Whitaker as Sara Guerrera, Mass Mickelson is Galen Erso, and Riz Ahmed as Bodhi Rook, and that's basically the main cast of this film. Like Andy said, tremendous talent here. 
Felicity Jones is a great actress, and I think she does a great job as a lead in this movie. She's got a lot of presence on screen. Then Diego Luna as the supporting actor in the role of Cassian Anders, also exceptional. We all know how talented he is as well. Yeah, they're a great pairing, and Felicity is extremely talented, um, multiple Oscar nominee, uh, but she just does a terrific job as a, a strong lead character. Uh, and a great way to follow up uh, Ray Scott, Ray Skywalker in Force Awakens the year before. Ben Mendelsohn's an excellent villain as Krennic in this movie because Krennic is an evil guy who's just looking after power and seeking power. And what's interesting about his character is even though we're presented to him thinking that he's a very high up guy, he ends up kind of just being a foot soldier to everyone else. I mean, when when um, Tarkin comes into play, he we realize that. Tar- Krennic is much more inferior to him in general. He's much more inferior to Darth Vader when Vader chokes him and chokes him out. And, and he's kind of just not as powerful as he thinks he is. He's got a lot of hubris and arrogance going on. I love Ben Mendelsohn, and Krennic is an interesting character. But I just have to say, you, I watched this movie, and we're going to get into the. I'm going to get into the... The negative. Let's, yeah. let's do it, man. Again, sorry. Sorry. sorry, for if, sorry I, I'm going to get a lot of hate. They can take I, it. I'm ready for They're it. They're really strong. <laughs> I believe in you all. Um, I don't understand why you make this movie and you don't have Emperor Palpatine in this movie and you don't have Darth Vader as your main antagonist. I like the idea of Krennic as, you know, uh, part of the part of the army. He's probably an overseer of, you know, and things like this, like building the Death Star. That I like, but making him the main villain of this film, I did not like that Vader and Palpatine weren't the ones who were involved with the creation of the Death Star. Neither was neither was um, Tarkin. I I just found it strange that like this kind of like lowly soldier was like the 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 mastermind behind the Death Star because the Death Star I always saw was like the brainchild of the Emperor. Uh, he had been like developing the super weapon and. Vader helped him create that, and then the Empire facilitated it with its resources in all of its people. And so to, when I watched this movie for the first time, I was like, wait, so Palpatine's not even going to be involved in any conversations about the Death Star, and Vader neither. Like, they're not even going to know about, like, not really be involved with it in any way other than Krennic is, like, overseeing the entire thing, and then Tarkin eventually takes credit from Krennic after um, it re- he reveals that the the functionality of the Death Star does work. And so I was just very underwhelmed that uh, I understand they wanted to tease Vader, and I'm sure their intention was to save it for this great climactic ending, and the Vader scene is one of the strongest Star Wars scenes ever, but I just found it very underwhelming to have this movie centered on the Death Star and not even feature Palpatine and feature... Darth Vader ex- very minimally, even though it was like what I saw as their master plan of the original Star Wars trilogy. I agree. I think the biggest weakness for the film would be characters. And when we finally see Vader for the first time, you know, he's taking that. He's at, He's got like his spa on <laughs> Mustafa. <laughs> Mustafar, sorry. Instead of like steam room. He's got a steam room. It's a wooden steam room. <laughs> with, with, surrounded by bamboo. No, he's, he's doing a chiral freeze. <laughs> the Wim Hof method. He's a big fan. Uh, <laughs> Mustafar. Um, when I, for the first time we saw him, I was like, why are we only seeing him now? Yeah. I wish we could have like gotten Like an hour sooner. and a half in? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty far in. Maybe like an hour in where he has the conversation with uh, 
with uh, Orson. Uh, I mean, what's his Krennic. name? Krennic. Krennic. Doing great, man. <laughs> I am destroying this debate right now. He can't even. He can't even keep up with me. He's like. He's like overwhelmed. I'm not overwhelmed at all. <laughs> I, I said the name correctly. All right. So I was just making jokes. So I lost my train of thought. <laughs> So Vader's taking his, his hot bath on Mustafar, and I'm just like, why isn't he in here sooner? It would have been great to have Vader as the main villain, but do you think that would have taken away from the impact of the final scene of the movie with him tearing everybody up, going to God mode in the hallway, finally seeing Vader that we've always wanted to see, the potential of what Lord Vader's like as full potential at the height of his strength right before the beginning of A New Hope, would it have taken away from that or would it have supplemented the movie even more to have more Vader in it like that? I think the more Vader, the better. And also it would have still, it wouldn't have affected the impact of that final scene because it was, it's not like you didn't need to have him fighting or using his force powers too much in other scenes. And so when he does finally do com, com, um, enter that moment and destroy and wreck that room of guys, I think it would still be very powerful because we haven't, we still wouldn't have seen that kind of action from him if he had been the heavily featured villain just through the story. That's a good point because in A New Hope, he doesn't even fight until Obi-Wan. Exactly. He's considered one of the greatest villains of all time. He doesn't fight until that like end of the film, and it's like not even that great of a fight, honestly. So I think that the the impact of that great hallway sequence would not have changed at all. I think it's just a mistake that Star Wars and the current people who are running it have, have made where they're protecting Vader, it seems like, and not wanting to show him off too much until now with the Obi-Wan show. We'll see how much Vader's actually in it, but they've always been like playing him close to the chest when you could have had him all over this movie. Yeah. It would have been really cool. I think they just... I think they overthink things, and they're always trying to keep fans on their toes. And you can say that's very much so um, in The Last Jedi, trying to show us things that uh, – trying to go away from our expectations. And so obviously they're like, okay, let's – like Vader has to be in this movie, but let's save him just for the subtle. end. And let's just tease Give him. Give him one scene. And then – but I just think that approach was just like kind of silly. Like it's it's the Death Star. Why is he not – Heavily featured as overseeing the entire project, it, they, does, it yeah. didn't make any sense. They probably to me. didn't want people's heads to explode the entire <laughs> time in the movie theater, but maybe they didn't want to be too repetitious of Star Wars: A New Hope and make it seem like it was the same movie. I I, I understand that, but I'm just saying, like, this was Palpatine's grand plan, you know, and True. he's not even in this movie. That's what also like, I I understand they wanted to make a new villain, but I mean, if you're gonna make a f whole film that harkens back to the love of the original film. Why are you eliminating some of the most memorable characters? True. Um, and I, I agree with that. And point. now they're embracing the old characters. Now, I think they, they learned from the mistake. Now, before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast, besides using our coupon codes, is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast, where you get awesome perks like our podcast schedules, personalized videos, Patreon shoutouts on the show, show weekly bonus episodes and monthly Zoom calls and watch parties. All of our $10 and $25 tier patrons have access to our Discord and we interact with that every day, so you get to chat with us on there. You get to join us on our watch parties. We did an Oscars watch party with everyone on the Discord. It was super fun. We, we're going to do Shrek very soon. That was voted <laughs> as the first movie to watch. We also launched our podcast masterclass online course. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast, our 22-chapter 46 video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind the scenes of our show. The link is podcast masterclass teachable.com or go to our website raiders of the lost podcast.com it's right there on the home page check out all of our sources of content our merch custom movie posters right there as well follow subscribe wherever you're listening thanks so much for tuning in around the world now let's get back to rogue one a star wars story 
Now, like I said earlier, I'm, I don't have any problems with any of these actors. I think they're all excellent actors, but I just think that the weakness for me is the writing of this movie, like how we were just talking about how they approach who the villain is of this movie. And then when I watched this for the first time, I was a little overwhelmed from the first act of the film, uh, figuring out who people were, what was going on, who the pilot was. Um, it moved very quickly. But how do you feel about the first scene? I think the first scene is very strong. I think the first scene is great. I think it's I a think good it first got scene. set up so yeah. well. I think it's a, a visually very strong, uh, excellent acting, and a great setup. I think it's a great setup for uh, Jin's story. I think it's a terrific opening for the movie, and had a, it's. I think it was entertaining, intriguing, dramatic. It's like its own little mini movie. It has high stakes, and then. Uh, a tragic conclusion of a father being separated from his family after his watching his wife be killed from an old nemesis and then Jin escaping with Saw. I thought it was a very strong opening. All right. Uh, I think there's something we could agree on first before we get too deep into it. Yeah. Cinematography of this movie mm-hmm. by Greg Fraser is exceptional. I love all the shots in space are really terrific and his use of light specifically in space is exceptional. You know, we have these great massive death destroyer ships, these huge ships that, you know, they were built to scale miniatures in back in the day, but now you're they're kind of recreating those miniatures with CGI and the detail is incredible. But one of my favorite things that Greg Fraser does with the with the cinematography, especially with the ships in outer space, and I think this kind of took all this uh all this aesthetically to a new level are the light changes that he does, like when a, a sun's coming into view of a spaceship or they were in the darkness and like a planet's moving out of orbit and moving showing through this, shadow. And then yeah. you see the ships that were just in complete darkness now getting engulfed by sunlight from a star or like just you can see the ray of the sun like traveling instead of across like the land or, like land during a sunrise. It's traveling across a spaceship as it's moving in front of it. It's really incredible. I just think he just took everything to a new level and the tone of this and aesthetically what he did with and then what Bradford Young compounded on with Solo, that movie, they just really set the stage for the new Star Wars movies going forward. Yeah, I think that the I think the visuals of this film are incredible. They're really remarkable. And Greg Frazier has proven himself to be one of the best cinematographers working today. And he des- deserved that Oscar he won. And I, I totally agree. Not only do the spaceships look really incredibly realistic for CGI, the, the way the light played with them in space was excellent because the thing with the old films is they didn't have the technology to really change lighting and play around with how other surfaces in space would interact with the spaceships in terms of reflecting light, blocking light, creating shadows on them, and how they interacted with different stars as they came in and around other planets. So I think they got very creative with how they approached the spaceships because they can it can kind of be boring imagery. We've all seen it now a hundred times. Perfect lighting, and also because the ships are so gigantic and then the frame has to be, if you're thinking about like logistically how far the camera is from a, a spaceship in space, it's hundreds, thousands, thousands of miles away. If you're thinking about like where would they place a camera to actually film that spaceship. So that means when, even though the spaceship is moving very fast, from our perspective, it's barely moving at all. So it ha- you have to make it visually inter- interesting in a way. And then to counter these epic space shots, these cosmic shots, Whenever we're on the surface of a planet or on you know a planet's crust with the people on the ground, it's very gritty. It's very realistic. Lots of handheld shots, which I like, and I think it's a great counter to what they're doing in space. There is a lot of um, natural lighting. He uses he's used it in all of his films. Dune has a lot of natural lighting, just 
on site, on location. The Batman has a the ton, Batman too. The Batman has a ton. So Greg Frazier loves shooting with natural daylight. They'll diffuse it sometimes, but oftentimes, if you look behind the scenes, like they're not even diffusing or bouncing light. He's just like, let's just shoot it. If it's overcast, then, it's every, then we have everything we need already. And there were very few times where I thought the CGI didn't work. It's There's a lot of great moments where there's just subtle things here and there of like a creature, like where you're, they're walking down these alleyways. There's like a little tentacle that's hanging around. It's really cute. It works really well. But in general, I think the CGI was very good. And Tarkin, instead of casting somebody, they recreated him with animation. Now, how do you think they did recreating uh, Governor Tarkin? I don't think the technology was there yet. I think they might have rushed it and gotten ahead of themselves. Uh, I'm sure if that actor was still alive, they might have made him the main villain of, of this story. But I don't see why they couldn't have just recast the role. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if the family would have been offended by that. I don't see that as being offensive. Just recasting a role—it's been—it's ha happened. I mean, countless times recasting a role with a different actor. Ben Ben Mendelsohn could have played Tarkin. I'm sure fans would have been fine with that. I mean, they would have understood. Like, I mean, the guy passed away. I mean, there's no other way to fill the role. So I think that if Ben Mendelsohn had played Tarkin, it might have worked better for the story. I think you're probably right. It, I mean, right. And uh, I mean, with the prosthetic work these days is exceptional. I mean. Mm -hmm. Make us give a bigger nose on yeah. top of like I mean what they did to Voldemort with Ray Fiennes that always looked excellent and that was just a lot of animation on top of his face mm -hmm. and so maybe if General Tarkin I mean, Governor Tarkin was the lead villain of the film it might have worked better but the CGI it's very good however I think it falls into the concept of unca uncanny valley where that's the region of negative emotional response towards robots that seem almost human movement amplifies the emotional response and in this phenomenon. People feel a sense of unease or even revulsion in response to humanoid robots or CGI recreations of humans. That's exactly it. Yeah. That are highly realistic, meaning the better the CGI is, because as you can tell, this is pretty recent at the time. It was phenomenal. It's not like Avatar where they're blue humanoids. These are humans being recreated. It's kind of the same thing happened with me and the Irishman, even though it's great, but the de-aging, there's something off about it. Um, the CGI, the better it looks and the more real the characters look the more weirded out humans get when watching it, basically. Yeah, because it's photorealistic looking at it. Like, if you just freeze a frame, I'm sure it looks very good. But, but you're like, there's something off. When you see the movement, because, like, there's so much subtlety in everyone as they speak and move and gestures, and there's so many idiosyncrasies our, our muscles make and our textures of our skin and hair and the way light bounces off of us. It's so... It, there's so much to it, and it's such a complex image to create. That's why... Pixar has always kind of avoided making photorealistic humans, even though they can make photorealistic, you know, physical objects and uh, they're they are improving so much. But still, they'll make their humans cartoony looking because making an, a photorealistic human out of CGI is extremely difficult. And it still ha I, don't, I still don't see it being pulled off anytime soon. Um, Caesar is the closest thing we've come to it, but Caesar being an ape. It's a lot more. It's a lot easier for the audience to accept Caesar, and Caesar even even Caesar doesn't look perfect. He's hybrid. He's, he's a hybrid he's, ape human with his muscle movements, exactly, and, so, and, so when, and facial so, movements. So when Caesar speaks like a human, like we kind of accept it, but it's still we aren't at that point where I mean, Luke Skywalker in Boba Fett is a perfect example of it. Looks photorealistic, but there's just like that deadness behind the eyes and the movements of the mouth and the cheeks and. The muscles, it just does not feel right. If, if you freeze the frame, it looks fine. But once you see the movement, you're like, that is not a human being. It's really interesting. And it, it maybe we'll never get to the point where we fully accept it, even though maybe they can make it seem 
completely perfect and you can't tell the difference but maybe they'll like you just said there'll be still the deadness in the eyes like there's no soul because it's not real maybe we already are in the matrix and we've already been fooled by it i mean maybe i'm just the only person that's ex- in existence in my reality yeah. and you're a projection you're just, just a simulation or maybe you're a copy i'm a sim. you're agent smith i, I'm, <laughs> I am part inevitable copied onto me inevitable <laughs> something overwritten <laughs> but i think i understand that they wanted to do that but i feel like they put a lot of pressure on themselves to pull off the effect, and I feel like it would have been so much easier just to make Ben Mendelsohn Tarkin. That would have probably been better. Yeah. Now, one more thing I think we can completely agree on, and then we'll get into the characters and, and plot and differences in, of opinion and stuff like that. I can't like wait that. to hear it. Now, Michael Giacchino. Uh, yeah, the guy yeah. is amazing. Like you say all the time, he's like the closest thing modern world composers to John Williams in the film world, and he really did an incredible job with Making a new Star Wars soundtrack and album, which I don't think anyone had done for a feature-length film before at this point. This is the first spinoff outside of the main storyline movies mm-hmm. that John Williams does all the night. Without did the all main night, themes. Without the main themes. Yeah. But he kind of really just made his own music that sounded so so much like the world of, of Star Wars without sounding like a ripoff of John Williams. And it's not that he rips off John Williams. That's That was already Michael Giacchino's style. He had been doing it. He makes music... And he approaches it in a similar way to John Williams. They're both very jazzy as well as classical. Yeah, they write very complex music with lots of instruments, lots of classical instruments. Like, they don't use digital effects. They don't like to use new instruments. They'll use the classical instruments from a full orchestra, you know. And he also, he likes a lot of the same things that John Williams likes to do. And so you can tell that he really is um, the next John Williams of our generation because of not because he's copying him, but it's just like, you know, a blues player plays like another blues player. It's the style they approach music as, their voice, and I think he's the closest voice we've had to Williams, which makes him a perfect choice to to score the first non-Skywalker Star Wars film, and he really did an excellent job. He's one of my favorite composers working today, and this is a very deep, complex, emotional, powerful, exciting score, and he may, he really propels the movie and makes it better every moment. Agree. Now, we talked about um, one character. How about we'll run through the characters real quick, set them up, and then we can talk about everything we disagree about in the movie Then we'll get general. to the debate. So, uh, Felicity Jones plays Jen Erso. 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 Jen Erso. Now, Jen Erso is the daughter of Galen Erso, who is played by Maz Mikkelsen, and Maz Mikkelsen's character is a genius engineer who basically gets kidnapped and forced to work on the Death Star and completes the Death Star unbeknownst to the empire he put that secret vulnerability inside the death star plans and in the death star that he's trying to send the message to Jin, who doesn't know what's happening because she's just grown up without her father after watching her mother be killed in front of her while she was trying to hide from uh the empire and the soldiers and then she basically spends her teenage years and adulthood running in prison and she's an imperial worker camp She's focused on self-preservation. She even attacks her rescuers. And the robot, the droid goes, congratulations, you are being rescued. And she believes that her father has, you know, basically joined the Empire and is working for them and is going to lead to lead them to destruction of other planets. And the thing with Jin is she has so much potential as a leader and a great person, but she's too busy just worrying about herself, trying to survive, worrying only about her needs that, that fits her and that helps her get further in life and, you know, stay hidden. Great point. Next, we have Cassian Andor, played by Diego Luna. Ooh, hold on, my Gamora fell down. Got to fix her. 
And Diego was a, a welcome introduction to the Star Wars world, and he's getting his own spinoff show of this character. So um, yeah, they're going back. Yeah, they're going in backwards time. in time. We all know that you yeah. know at the end of this movie. Big spoiler alert: everybody <laughs> dies. He, but he's a scene stealer. He's a great actor, and Cassian is a member of the Rebellion. And he's been a rebel since he was six, and he is extremely committed to the cause. Uh, probably just as much as Jin by the end of the film. I think they they have a lot in common in that retrospect by being some of the only rebels who actually want to continue fighting rather than giving into the Empire. And Cassian proves himself to be completely committed to the cause by, you know, we see his first introductory scene. We see him murder a friend of his at the cost of preventing anyone from figuring out the secret that his friend knows. So to protect the rebellion, he's willing to kill even an innocent life. And that shows his commitment to everything. Also, it shows the extremism of the rebellion, how Cassian, like many others, will do anything for the cause. And, you know, that's a, a concept I like about this film because the rebellion's always perceived as perfect and innocent and good and always doing the right thing. Whereas this kind of blurs the lines of both extremes of the Empire and the rebellion and makes them seem a little more similar because both sides are doing terrible things. Obviously, the rebellion's not blowing up planets, but Cassian killing an innocent person to preserve the information that his friend knows from getting to the Empire. For him, that's a, a necessary uh, elimination of a human life that he has to take out with and it's it's sad but you know that shows the extremism of both ends and then we have uh, K2SO who is a, a hilarious droid uh, much needed breath of fresh air and levity in this film played by Alan Tudyk who is uh, the uh, Steve the pirate in dodgeball. Wait, there's a pirate on our team. Yar, Peter. Yar, 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 Peter. Who am I gonna share all this gold with? Wait, there's a guy on our team dressed like a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's great in this film. I think there's been like this new cliche of modern Star Wars movies of the droids being like hilarious scene stealers because you know C3PO was always funny. R2D2 was always a scene stealer, but uh, I think they've really upped the ante with the droids in the modern films. Now, K2SO is a reprogrammed Imperial droid, so he can kind of help them infiltrate some areas like that happens in the film. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's very funny. Yeah. It's very sassy, hilarious. He's also super blunt and honest all the time, which is always funny to hear because it's just like they don't want to hear the information he's yeah, telling he's them. He's good with his calculations. Not always. I mean, they do like make it further. Oh, yeah. They're nice. He's like, yeah. we, we will make it 33% into our mission. They make it like they finish the mission, but they all, they all do die. Yeah. And then Saw Gerrera, played by Forrest Whitaker, is an extremist rebel. He has He's kind of created his own rebellion outside, aside from the other rebellion, the alliance that the other leaders are a part of. Similar to General Grievous, Saw Gerrera has become more machine than man, you can argue. He's, he's only kept alive by his respirator. He has mechanical body parts and limbs. So it's really an interesting blend of Vader and... And I think General Grievous with this character, Saw Gerrera, his morality is ambiguous, even though he is a rebel against the Empire. You can tell he does operate um, on maybe less of a moral line than the other part of the rebellion. And Saw Gerrera was the person who took Jin in as a child. And he seems to be slipping into madness the way Forrest plays it. He's very like on the edge and seems to have lost a lot of his own humanity because he's willing to do terrible things to get what he wants. And it seems like that's why he's willing to just let himself die when Jedi is being blown up. He's like, because he says that line to Jin. He says, "I have, I almost have nothing left." So there's like maybe you could say he's all of his morality is gone. Yeah. <laughs> why are you laughing? You're like laughing. No, you want to know why I think that he died? Why? Because I think the writers didn't know what to do with him for the, for the rest of the movie. 
<laughs> well, it's not as bad as Uncharted when the main girl just disappears for the entire third act. I was watching. I'm like, wait, where, where's she? So I'm now, since we're on him, and it's not that long of a discussion, but the fact that uh, he just like was like, Jin's like, come on, we can make it. He's like, nah, kid, I'm staying nah, here. Nah, son. Nah. <laughs> Nah, I'm all right. I'm tired. I'm tired, <laughs> I'm man. <good. laughs> I was like, like, I was like, bro, all you have to go do is walk to that ship and you're done. You're fine. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And it seems kind of pointless of him keeping himself alive with all these mechanical operator exactly. What's the, parts the and... motivation of survival? And then now death's upon him. And he's like, you know what? Forget all this effort I put into well, retaining maybe my. Maybe you could argue that now that Jin's here, you, he can see that maybe his part of the rebellion, what he's doing, isn't working. And now Jin seems to be taking up the mantle for him in a more righteous way of a rebellion in that now that she's here to be a leader for everybody else it's okay for him to go i mean i suppose so but it's by this point she hasn't shown much leadership she's true she's just like uh they're along for the ride her the entire point of her being there was just because she's a familiar she's a familiar face so it's not like she's leading this crew yet you know what i mean so i just i honestly think you know writers with it's complex making a big movie like this and you put yourself into holes and you get to like bust through a door sometimes. And I think that my interpretation is like the writers didn't know what to do with Forrest Whitaker's character and it's Felicity Jones's movie and Diego Luna's movie. And so they're just like, let's just, how do we cut him out? We don't, we don't need, we don't have a place for him really in and the third act. We really need to blow Jetta up. Yeah. And we get to blow Jetta up. So what's the best way to not have him anymore in the movie? Let's just have him allow himself to just like not want to run from death. That was how I interpret it. I think you're probably right. But I think they hid that with the dialogue I brought up. Yeah. No, yeah, they hid it well. Yeah. But keep, th- keep in mind, these are written by committee by a lot of people. And, and it's Disney. It's, it's like they have to hit certain beats and they have to accomplish certain things. And you're super, you're kind of limited in terms of what you can do. So you have to like dance around circles essentially. This week, we are once again sponsored by Zavi, the home for popular culture. When you use our coupon code RAIDERS at Zavi.com, that's Z-A-V-V-I.com, you can get up to 20% off all your pop culture merch and clothing. And they hooked us up with a bunch of brand new Star Wars merch for our Rogue One episode, but they also carry all kinds of merch and clothing for all your favorite pop culture franchises. They sent us some really cool shirts. I got this super cool wing fighter pilot helmet that I got on right now, as well as my little Grogu Baby Yoda eating cookies bobblehead, <laughs> which is super cute. And then I got uh, a Knight of Ren, which even though they were pretty crappy in the movies, I think this is a badass action figure, Funko. And, and also the Mandalorian mug right there. Yes, so we got this damn cool. excellent Mando mug. They have all sorts of Star Wars merch, Mando merch, Boba Fett merch, like everything fans of Star Wars crave. They got it at great prices. They also have a pre-order available of Michael Giacchino's amazing score for Rogue One available on vinyl. Zavi has also released the April edition of their official free digital magazine called The Lowdown, which in this month features exclusive interviews with the cast and director of Sonic the Hedgehog 2, as well as a behind-the-scenes look at this year's most anticipated game, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. Zavi also just released a brand new Sonic 2 clothing collection has some amazing gear there not to mention spider-man no way homes 4k blu-ray ultra set is available today from zavi.com and keep an eye out all you moon knight fans zavi is dropping an entire clothing collection for moon knight very soon 
Make sure to use our coupon code Raiders at checkout from Zavi.com. That's Z-A-V-V-I.com, the home of pop culture. And then we have Bodhi Rock, played by Riz Ahmed. Congratulations to Riz Ahmed for just winning an Oscar for Best Short Film. First uh, Muslim to win an Oscar. It's incredible. Yeah. Really? That's yeah. incredible. Um, so he plays, uh, again, Bodhi Rook, Rook, and he is a cargo pilot who has escaped. It's kind of like Finn in Force Awakens. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> it says he's defected, and he needs to speak to Saw Gerrera. That's his motivation. That's how he becomes comes into contact with Jin and Diego when they're imprisoned in that chamber altogether, and he's the pilot. This was my first exposure to Riz Ahmed, I believe. I don't think I'd seen him in anything before this. Oh, Nightcrawler. Uh, Nightcrawler came out, I think, after this. Are you sure? Maybe. It's possible. I believe Nightcrawler was the same year or the year it before. It could have been the same let me, year. Uh, let me check. You keep talking Double about check stuff. Double-check it. But keep I talking mean... about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet Bodhi is named after Bodhi from, uh, what's it called? Oh, what, Keanu and Patrick Swayze. Oh, you don't remember the name of this Come movie? Come on, man. Don't... <laughs> Come on. It's a classic. Um, should we let him squirm, everybody? I'm not squirming. I Ooh, I was so right. Nightcrawler came out in 2014. Play, wow, uh... that's that old of a movie? Yeah, man. What? Dan Gilroy, 2014, October. Oh, my God. Two years before this. Well, Dan Gilroy wrote this, so that makes sense. Uh, you're thinking of Point Break, the classic Break. by Catherine Bigelow. Point Break. I am an, an FBI, FBI agent. I can't describe what I'm feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, continue. <laughs> but um, Bodhi is actually a, another aspect to the script that I don't like. Uh, do you want me to get into it now or do you want to get into We're it We're on. Let's do it. Okay, so with Bodhi, I was, the first time I saw this film, I was confused about like who the pilot was, what all these people kept talking about as a pilot. And I was just like, wait, is he the pilot? Like what did the pilot – the pilot had information or they he was friends with, with uh, Galen? And like I was like, what is going on? Because what happened was they – there's this movie has a lot of exposition. They, this movie, the reason why I don't like the writing is, is they're all about tell, don't show in this movie. And great filmmaking is about show, don't tell. Yeah, Anthony hates tell, don't yeah, show. You hate it too. I'm, I, sometimes it's fine if it works, but not always. So show, don't tell means you, you you show information using action, and as opposed to characters just telling you information just offhand. And this movie has a lot of characters just explaining things, and so. With Bodhi, I was confused the first time I saw it that he was the pilot, and the reason why I was confused because there's like literally we well, our introduction to Bodhi is 15 seconds where he's cat where he's be, he's a prisoner of these guys and they're like he's like I'm defective I'm defecting and they're like here's the defector here's the defector because he's away. trying to bring them the information yeah, because exactly. he has the holographic message that was recorded by Galen to be sent to Guerrera. On the, on Jeddah. Exactly. So, but I was confused that because like, I feel like this movie they should have showed his story. They should have showed Bo- Bodhi defecting. They should have showed like maybe he crash landed or how these guys captured him. I it would have given a better sense of who he was as opposed to just having like a literally like a fifteen second shot of he's the defector. He's the defector. Hey man, we got time. We got we got to move. Well, so that's, kid. so that's that's <laughs> an issue with the film. So in the in the, in the within six minutes, we're introduced to. Four characters were bounced around four planets, and uh, we don't really have any time to breathe with these characters. We don't really have any time to like understand who these people are, what's driving them, um, where they, how they got here, what their motivations are, what any characteristics are. And uh, they, the the movie kind of makes up for this by having like every character in the in the film mention the pilot. Like yeah. literally every character is like, "Oh, I heard you have rumor about a pilot. Oh, there there's a pilot," and and they wouldn't have had to do that if they had shown Riz Ahmed was the pilot. I felt I found it pretty confusing because the entire plot revolves around this revolves around uh Bodhi 
and his objective and uh, his plan with Galen. And also with Bodhi, I was very confused about the alien that uh, Saw Gerrera had, like, torture him for information. Yeah. Because, first of all, Saw said, okay, when this monster has its way with you, you go insane. And so you're like, when the, and then when the tentacles wrap around him, you're like, oh my God, he's gonna like, this, he's gonna become mad and lose his mind afterwards. And then like five minutes later, like he's fine. Like nothing happened to him from interacting with the alien. And then also, the whole point of that entire sequence is kind of pointless because the point of the, using the alien to interrogate Bodhi was to find out if he's lying or not about being the pilot and having the hologram from um, Galen. And because Saw doesn't doesn't believe him, and he's like the alien will know the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a truth sayer. And so the alien does its thing. I don't know what it does, but like, and then it's finished, meaning that he was telling the truth, meaning that he is to be believed in terms of Bodhi. Like Bodhi is trustworthy because he's not lying. And yet Saw still doesn't believe him. He's like, it's a trap. I can't believe him. So. Nothing was changed as a, from having the alien go on him and interrogate him because if if it made Saw Gerrera believe him, then we have something. There's a point to the scene, but the entire sequence of the alien interrogating him was pointless because nothing came from it because it can't. It started with the same. It, the conclusion was the oh, was how it started. It never changed. I think there are two reasons for that alien. It's a Star Wars movie, so they need a giant, gross alien to play a prominent role in the scene and like wrap its <laughs> tentacles around somebody, obviously. And second. To, like, make Saw Gerrera seem more uh, unhinged and intimidating to the audience. But what's the point of that since he dies five minutes later? Like, what's the point? Bro, I didn't write the fucking movie. (laughs) 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 And then um, I I have another problem with Bodhi. And um, it's after the message was destroyed. And then uh, Cassian's like... Jin, what the message? Do you have the message? She's she's like, no, everything moves so fast and it was destroyed. She's like, I ate it. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Cassian's like, did you see the message, Bodhi? And Bodhi's like, no. It's like, Bodhi, your whole, you, what are you talking about? Like, Galen gave you this mission. <laughs> you didn't even the, look at it? With the hologram. You didn't look at it once. Like, you can't even, ex- like, why would Galen send you off as a defector with this message if it wasn't something that relates to the Death Star? Like, ob- like wouldn't, Bodhi be like, hey, I went through hell and back, was raped by an alien. <laughs> I think she's telling the truth. Instead, he just shook his head like, bro, I don't know what she's talking about. It's like, dude, you worked with Galen to leave the Empire and get this information to the Rebellion. Like, why are you... I don't understand why he was suddenly like, I don't know anything that she's talking about. It seems like they were just stuck on this scene. Exactly. The sequence of Jin getting to Guerrera, I mean, uh, Saw Guerrera, and then her with Bodhi and everybody escaping Guerrero while the Jedi Jedi's being blown up and then Guerrero staying to kill himself. Yeah. It seems like they're just stuck on that whole thing. And they're like, all right, how do we get out of there? Here's door number one. Let's close that. <laughs> Here's door, door number two. That's okay. We can go th- through there. And uh, they figured it out somehow, but no, I agree. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a bit up in the air all over because the place. Because they want to set up the next sequence as Jin by herself, trying to convince everyone that she's correct. Has to, and the whole point at was the, at the rebels. Yeah, and she they they want her to stand alone. That's why suddenly Bodhi is has like no. He's like I don't know what she's talking about. That's why because like it wouldn't make sense for Bodhi to be like so like uncaring about there being a message 
if he was here, this is why he's here. It's for the audience to, I guess, accept her as the main leader of the rebellion going forward. Because yeah. once she sees the message, this is the first time who Jin has spent her entire life resenting her father, not wanting anything to do with her, not wanting anything to do with the rebellion or anything. She just wants to keep her nose down and survive. She finally sees this message from her father, his words speaking to her for the first time in years, finding out that he was a prisoner, obviously. He didn't want to build a Death Star. He was forced to do it, but he did put some secret uh, vulnerability in the Death Star because of hope. And I think, you know, hope is the main theme of this film, and that hope has changed Jin's character into not only wanting to be part of the rebellion, but become a leader. And that's showcased, obviously, like we we're talking about how she's trying to convince everyone else in the Rebel Alliance to go forward with the yeah, plan. exactly. So, Jin is my next issue with the film. All right, let's go over Jin. This is going to be a big one. Again, I'm, <laughs> now, should, we, should we go into intermission first? Let's do intermission. All right, we'll and go into intermission. Then we're going to go after Jin. <laughs> well, I'm going to go after Anthony's going to go after Jin. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll do my best to protect her, everybody. <laughs> Protect the precious cargo. <laughs> now let's head on into our intermission and begin with the movie quote competition. I'll go first, Anthony. Sounds great, James. I told you, I don't want to join your super secret boy band. <laughs> what is this? Oh, shit. Is this a Marvel movie? Maybe. It's Iron Man in uh, Avengers. It's Iron Man in Iron Man. Oh, in Iron Man? To Nick Fury. Oh, at the end in the yeah. post credit scene. Damn. Got me. Got him. Got him. Got him. All right, here's mine. Every time something goes wrong, the world forgets why we fly. Every time something goes wrong, the world forgets why we fly. Huh. Top Gun. No. Um, hmm. The Aviator. No. Apollo 10. No. <laughs> you mean Apollo 13? No, I mean uh, Apollo 13. No. <laughs> the Martian. Oh, So it's Teddy Sanders, the uh, director of NASA, says that. Played by Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Good one. All Direct, right. Directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, sorry about David. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep going. Cinematography by uh, Stephen Elsever El Street. <laughs> I just made a person up. <laughs> All right, guess this movie release here. Elsever Street. What the fuck kind of name is that? It's his name. I didn't. It's not my... he, was... he didn't choose it. <laughs> yeah, he was. He didn't choose it. He was just born with it, man. Poor guy. Alison of Elsever Street. All right, give him a break. Guess this movie release here. Scarface. Bum, bum, <laughs> 1981. Bum, wrong. 1983. Damn. Dun, 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 we might be dun. doing that soon. Who knows? Bum, choo, choo, if y'all want a Scarface episode, bum, hit the uh, bum, hit, hit us up in the comments. Okay, guess one. guess this movie release here. Ready? The Hulk. The Hulk? The Help. <laughs> I, I, that was, I don't know what happened. What happened there? I don't know. It's like, I don't the know. Halt? <laughs> the Help. The Help. The help. Two tough words. <laughs> Very complex words. English is a tough language. Let's see. 2013. 11. Ah, I was going to say 11. But you didn't. You didn't say you did it. did not say it. All right. Movie pop quiz time. How do you say help? <laughs> help. The whole. <laughs> All right, get, move release here. The whole. 
How many live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies are there? Live action. I'm going to go with <clears throat> five. Three. Just the original three. So they don't count the um, the two new ones as live action? They're CGI, bro. Yeah, but it's a live action movie. Mm, live action is people on camera. There are people on camera. Mm-hmm. That's a live action movie. That's clou- that, clou- that qualifies as live action. Are you sure? I'm very sure. Which one? The Michael Bay ones. Are those live action? They're live action. Megan Fox? Oh, yeah, you're right. Great fact. Great quiz question. <laughs> At least I could say help. <laughs> All right, so that's four. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. Thanks, man. Here's my quiz question. What Disney spinoff did Jessica Chastain star in? Like Disney movie spinoff or Disney movie spinoff? Jessica Chastain. It's definitely not Molly's game. <laughs> Ain't no Disney movie. <laughs> um, spinoff of a famous Disney character. Their movie. What is the spinoff? Oh man, that's a tough question. I went all Chastain today. I feel like it's got to be an older movie. In right? honor of her winning. Well, it's not that old. She's not that old of a person. She's probably like 40. But I think she's like 38. It's pretty close to 40. Not the, not, it's not 40. <laughs> How dare you call her 40? <laughs> pretty close. She's probably, she might be older than 40. Who knows? Um, I don't know. The Huntsman. Oh. The Huntsman. Isn't that with Chris Hemsworth? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Emily Blunt. Yeah. Good one. Got All right. Uh, got him. Got him. That was a pretty bad intermission. <laughs> I don't think we got any right. Zero for six. Did I get your quote right? No. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> guessed like six movies. No, I guess like four. <laughs> Did I quit your quote right? All oh, right. Man. Moving into our haters. We got haters or unsubscribes. Let's, uh, yeah, we got a couple. Let's turn this yeah. around. <laughs> uh, Jit just said, you guys seem to have a lot of fun with that. Keep it up, y'all. And subscribed. And then we have, I got a lot of heat for Hot Rod. <laughs> so uh, Kiefer Ott wrote, Hot Rod is hilarious. You're not funny. Unsubscribed. <laughs> He's just kidding, though. And then uh, Trey Vandell, I can't believe you guys didn't mention Grown Ups Unsubscribed. And then that's it for our unsubscribes today. All right. Uh, we have two reviews that I'll bring up. One is an, a real one-star review, a real one. This is brand new from Sorry Not Sorry 24. I disagree, not five-star. Starting with the review of Licorice Pizza, just went on and on about how much they loved it, no real reasons why, and barely discussing the movie. Perspective on horror is so off-key. These dudes liked Malignant, which had to be the funniest horror movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I loved it. And and trashed the new Scream. I do not stand by these reviews. All right, I mean, you don't have to agree with us. Yeah, man, you're Jeez. welcome to not agree with us. All right. We said in, in our Malignant review, we said multiple times that, that this it was is a terrible not, movie. This, that it's not a good movie. Yeah, that, if you listen that, to the review, yeah. we said we almost walked out of the theater. Yeah, we said it was the first half was terrible. We said the acting was horrible. We said, but we said it was a unique villain and then that made the, up for that, it. And, that, and it was a fun time by the third act. Jeez, low. In my Licorice Pizza review, I didn't want to spoil it for anyone because spoiler it was a spoiler-free review. So I don't know what you want me to say in a spoiler-free review. Sorry, not sorry, I did apparently. talk. I talked about Licorice Pizza for like 15 minutes. Yeah, it's not that long of yeah. a review. Like what you like. Keep your review out. Keep my review out your goddamn mouth. <laughs> All right, then we have a five-star review from Ben Huff 95 It says, sometimes they start a podcast and I, the 
the, na- the titles of the reviews always get cut off by Apple. Sorry, it just says dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Look, it doesn't take a genius to know that every organization thrives when it has two leaders. <laughs> Go ahead. Name me a country that doesn't have two presidents. A boat that set sail without two captains. Where would Catholicism be without the popes? I started listening <laughs> to these guys in the summer of 2020. That is a great reference. Sick reference, bro. Your references are out, out of control. control. Everybody knows that. <laughs> During lockdowns, talking about the best movie villains of all time, Chris Nolan and Tenet. And I was instantly hooked by their love for movies and their humor. FYI, in case you don't know, that's a, a quote from The Office uh, when Jim and Michael become co-managers, co-managers yeah. and Oscar goes off on them on on everyone about it. Uh, they escalated quickly. They've gotten they've only gotten <laughs> <laughs> they've only gotten better at their craft and are top rate. James and Anthony offer prestige, worldwide entertainment, and insight. <laughs> Sick reference, bro. It's like they have ESPN or something. <laughs> Sick reference, bro. <laughs> I want people to be afraid of how much they love this podcast. Sick reference. <laughs> if you're interested in great movies in a greater podcast, then don't subscribe. Unsubscribe and join the family. Thanks, that's bro. more like it. That was a great rebound. That is that's one of the best reviews All ever. The references were there's there like six yeah, movie TV there references in there. there. Great wow. job. That was that was great. I'm ben. just I'm impressed you get all those references in there. That was awesome. Well done. Well done. All right. Um let's see. On this day in film history, today is April f- unless we have Godfather. Yes we do. Who's our Godfather? Sorry. Tanner is our Godfather shout out for today. Tanner, we made you a shot yeah, on the on the Rogue One episode, you're our Godfather dear patron. So Tanner's been a fan of our show for a long time and uh they requested Two movies for their Godfather episode. It's Stuart Little 1 and Stuart Little 2. It comes out. It came out last week. So if you're a Godfather tier patron, you have to listen to our review of those two masterpieces. It was a really dramatic and powerful episode. Well, Tanner specifically requested that we approach them like masterpieces in film. And we yeah. went into it. It yeah. was great. In depth. It was a lot of fun. It's the, the two biggest Oscar snubs in history. Probably. Yeah. But and, uh... thank you so much for becoming a patron. <laughs> Patreon helps us do the show full time. So... We appreciate you so much. Thank you, Tanner. On this day in film history, today is April 4th. In 2003, Phone Booth was released. In 2014, Captain America, The Winter Soldier was released. In 2016, The Jungle Book was released. We got a lot of birthdays, a lot of um, late actors and actresses as well as living still. So happy birthday to the late Anthony Perkins, the late Andre Tarkovsky, Hugo Weaving, Graham Norton, Robert Downey Jr., Barry Pepper, Natasha Leone, and the late Heath Ledger. Wow, what a list. I know, right? That's the most impressive list of talent we've had so far. So far, far yeah, probably up there for birthdays. Yeah. Uh, streaming recommendation for me is Argo, which is now on Netflix as of April 1st. Argo F yourself. Argo F yourself. My streaming recommendation is Crazy Heart, which is now on Hulu. Jeff Bridges won a much-deserved Oscar. So Andrei Tarkovsky, the Russian director, he actually died making Stalker because in the in the cast and crew did as well. They, died, they all died very young because... It was um, still heavy with radiation, mm-hmm. the, the zones where they were filming. And they spent so much time filming because the first, they filmed the entire movie, but then when they got back, all the f- footage, all the film was destroyed by the radiation, so they had to go back and film again. Really? Yeah, so, they, I didn't know they that. Was, they, so then they started filming and shipping the footage out, the film out away. Wow, I wish area. I knew that before the last time I watched it. That would have yeah. been a trip. And so, like, yeah. The movie feels like it has radiation in it. Exactly. Because, like, I mean, it's obviously one of the main themes of the film. Yeah, so tragically, him, as well as many of the cast and crew, died pretty young. What about the main actors, like the, uh, that died very the young. teacher yeah, and died um, very young. the professor yeah. or whatever, and the, the writer, I mean. Yeah, um, that's, that's it, it, literally, the movie literally killed a lot of them. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, it is. It's very sad, though. Wow, that's horrible. I did not know that. Um, 
All you have to do is take one good look at Saw Guerrera, and you can tell that guy needs some manscaping done. Saw Guerrera can use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout from Manscaped.com to get himself a lawnmower 4.0 to get 20% off and free shipping to his planet of Jeddah. Not only is Manscaped the leaders in men's grooming around the world, but they're also taking care of your shower routine with their new Ultra Premium Collection. This all-in-one hygiene skin and hair bundle comes with deodorant, body wash, two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, hydrating body spray, and a free set of Manscaped lip balm. Save big by going to manscaped.com and use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping worldwide. Some of the most iconic posters in movie history are Star Wars movies, and the best place to get these posters is at movieposters.com, the number one place for posters online. Use our very special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. Movieposters.com has ex- in a- <clears throat> movieposters.com has an extensive collection of pretty much every movie and TV show in their arsenal, as well as a selection of all sorts of sizes, framing, and backlighting for your poster needs. We also just did a movie poster giveaway contest in our last episode. There's actually a couple days left to enter that contest. So if you want to win a free movie poster from movieposters.com, be sure to head on over to our YouTube channel and make a comment of your favorite Marvel movie in the Nickelodeon episode. That will enter you into the contest. We are announcing the winner on Thursday. So everyone stay tuned for that. And if you don't win, be sure to head on over to movieposters.com for all of your poster needs and use our promo code Raiders10 for 10% off. Um, all right, let's move back into our episode of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and Anthony is about to tear apart Jin. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Jin Erso. Okay, so Jin, I think she's a great character by the second half of the movie. I think the second half of the movie takes a turn once they go on their mission at the end. All right, um, break down. Break down for and us. And then she becomes a great character, and the movie gets a lot better. So... And it's nothing to do with Felicity Jones. I think Felicity Jones is an amazing actor. She's one of my favorite actresses working today. But the problem with Jin is the way she's written. And the pro- and the way she's written is she's written as a passive character. Now, there are two kinds of characters you can write as a lead actor. You can write an active, ca- act- active character or a passive character. Now, it's pretty self-explanatory. An active character makes things happen they move the plot forward with their actions or their decisions or their choices they're the ones propelling the story whereas a passive actor a passive character the story happens to them the plot happens to them they're kind of just along for the ride and that's what happened with Jin when the writers made this first half of this film and you can perfectly contrast her with Rey in The Force Awakens now the first Force Awakens it's not a perfect movie but it has a really great um, introduction to to Ray, and she has a great first half in the film. Ultimately, that film kind of went a little too over the board when she defeated Kylo Ren in her first ever fight. That was when it just was a little too much, but she was on the right track up until then. Now, Jin is the complete opposite, where she's not as well drawn out or developed as Ray was. So you can compare them as well. It's it's think about the opening scene with Jin as a kid. That's a great establishment. But I'm talking about grown-up Jin. I'm talking about adult Jin. What's her opening scene? She wakes up in prison, looks at the prisoner next to her lying in bed, and then that's it. And then uh, then the next scene is she's rescued from inside that caravan. That's her opening. Don't really know who she is. She, we just know she's a prisoner. Whereas the opening of Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams 
even if you don't like some of his movies or his choices with the Star Wars movies, he is a very intelligent storyteller. He knows how to tell a story. What he does with Ray in the first act of that film, we get six straight minutes of Ray, a day in the life. I love that. She's yeah, she's scavenging, she's selling, she's cleaning, uh, she's looking to the sky, wondering who I am. She, but then she makes things happen. She saves BB-8 out of the goodness of her heart, so we understand she has a good heart. And then she refuses to sell BB-8, so we see she's she's a morally good person. We learn so much about her in a matter of a few minutes because of the choices she makes and the actions she she um encounter and the things she encounters and how she reacts to them. And then also we learn about her family, how she's been waiting for them. Uh, a great character has a lie that they believe, which is something they believe to be true, but is a falsity. And now Ray's lie that she believes is she believes that her family's coming back. Tragically, they don't they'll never come back. And so her story is confronting that truth that she believes and discovering that it's a falsehood and overcoming that. Whereas Jin doesn't have a lie that she doesn't believe. She's not driven by anything except for just fighting for fighting's sake. And so right off the bat, you have an example of how to create a character in a matter of a few minutes. Now that opening six minutes with Ray, it's it moves by pretty quickly, but it tells us everything we need to know. Whereas in in Rogue One, that same amount of screen time, we get four character openings. Boom, 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 boom. Back and forth between planets, and you're like overwhelmed. Whereas JJ understood in order to craft this character and make audiences understand with her and empathize with her, we need to take our time. We need to know who she is. Whereas Ray, we don't really know Jin. We don't really know what she who she is. And the passivity goes extends much further beyond that. So Ray is a passive uh, character in this plot of this film for the entire first half. Jin. I mean Jin. I'm sorry. Jin is the is a passive character for the entire first half. So she's kept, she's put in handcuffs seven times in this movie. She just keeps getting captured. Keeps seven seven times. She's put in cuffs. Captured over and over and over again. Well, they're handcuffing the character, basically, literally. Yeah, exactly. So what's happening is, so here, here's all the things that happen to her as a passive character. So first she's in prison. Then she is being ex- escorted. She's rescued by the rebellion. And then she's, so she's been captured and she's told, okay, you can go on this mission with these, with this crew to, to find Saw, Saw Guerrera, or you can go back to prison. And now this is an example of, like I said earlier, active characters make decisions. This isn't really a decision to make. Yeah, like obviously it's, it's, she's going to go to see Sakura. You're obviously going to go. It's not. You're, they're basically forcing her. So it has she's nothing not, to do with her character. Because if she says no, she's going to be locked in in prison probably for life. So we don't really – she's not really making an active decision. And also in that sequence, like I talk, talked about Ray, we're, we're being shown who she is through action, the things she does. Whereas in this sequence, the um, the general, he lays – he lists out – Ray's and I mean Jin's entire criminal history. So we learn all the things she's done, which sound awesome. But like we could have seen some of that in the op- in her opening. We could have seen how resourceful she is. Whereas Ray, she's yeah. climbing that giant structure exactly. in the ships and, and hoarding him for for exactly. material and parts. Exactly, we can see she's Super, a capable person. She's, cr- she's athletic yeah. and, and creative. Exactly. Whereas Jin, she's just in a room. So if they had they didn't show any kind of resourcefulness, capability skills she doesn't fire that blaster until they're on that next planet and that's like an hour into the film and you, we look we don't know anything about what she's capable of but then they do the exposition the lazy exposition of here i'm going to read off a list of all the things about you to the audience because we don't want to show it to the audience we're just going to tell the audience because it's faster and it's easier and gets us on to the next scene so again 
She's even a passive character in how the audience perceives who she is and her past. And then what happens next? She goes to Cassian's crew and they fly to that planet to find Saw. And Jedha. Jedha. Jedha the planet. And then, so the, the mission is we got to find Saw Gerrera. What happens? They land, they walk around for a minute. Then all of a sudden, a firefight breaks out, not involving them, but inv- involving Saw Gerrera's men and Empire Stormtroopers. They're not even involved in this fight, but then they get involved. And then they they overcome the soldiers and then like, oh, great. Here are Saw Gerrera's men. Let's go to Saw Gerrera. So once again, they're not acting. They're just reacting to what's happening around them. The problem that they needed solved got solved for them. They're, and they yes, they get involved in the firefight. But it's not like Jin and Cassian were like, did something to find Saw. It just happened in front of them, which is just, again, lazy screenwriting and tying loose ends together to get them to fit to move the movie along faster and so once again they're captured rescued then taken to Sagarera. so time and time again Jin and cassian are just passive characters in the movie things are happening to them rather than them making things happen but it does get better by the time that Jin and cassian go on that mission the final mission she becomes a very active character and well, it's and after she, she sees the uh, hologram yeah. of her father. Then she begins propelling the plot, the plot forward, but we're an ha- hour and a half into this movie. And so for an hour and a half, I found her character to be uh, unlikable and it didn't have – I couldn't really understand who she was or what she wanted. And then by the second half of the film, I liked her a lot more. But I think the weakness of Rogue One is how they wrote Jin. That's a valid point. No, I think that that's a that's a great point. But in terms of passive characters only, there there are other films with passive characters that work. I mean, can't you say that Lebowski, Big Lebowski, is somewhat of a passive character where that, things well, are happening to him, although he does react to the things that happen to him. It hap- things happen to him, but also vice versa. He go he's the one who goes to Lebowski about the rug. Yeah, he's the one who propels the for- story from there. He d- goes on his own. You're right. So, so he's not th- something character. happens to him, but then he keeps doing. Yeah. So actually, it's, fu- yeah, right. it's, it's back it, and forth with him. It's fine for something to happen to your character to the opening of the film of this film. Something happens to Jin, but what I'm saying is, for an hour straight, thing Jin is being placed in certain in, 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 uh, situations. She's being uh, confined. She's not moving forward. She's being moved forward by the plot, by other characters. She's not making this, any choices. The choice to go on the mission as opposed to going to prison is not a choice at all. So the characters, the, she was metaphorically handcuffed by the screenwriters. Exactly, exactly my point. Until she sees her father's hologram, then she becomes a really active character. Now imagine this opening. So imagine this opening where we see Bodhi and he is escaping some kind of starship. Because he's a defector, and then he gets captured and put into prison. And guess what? Rumors circulate around the air, the planet, and Jin finds word of this guy who's a plant, who's a pilot, who knows about Galen. Then she, maybe she has a crew of people, she, or maybe she does it on her own. She breaks into the prison, breaks Bodhi out of prison, becoming an active character, setting the plot forward, and then the Rebel Alliance can encounter them, and then ask, and then try to get her on their mission. Whereas we're, well, if that's if she was a rebel. Exactly. She's not really a rebel. I know, but what I'm yeah, saying no. is that's a great way to make her an active character while putting two characters together, making a, a stronger connection and bond with Bodhi, with the audience, and with Jin, understanding better who Bodhi was while also having Jin display all of her her skills 
and her abilities and show how strong of a character she is through this great opening. But instead, we get an opening of her in a prison cell just sitting there. I think the problem with so many studios today that they're so obsessed with is origin stories. Even this, you don't think it's an origin story, but it's an origin story. It's a gin origin origin story. And, you know, when you lay it out like that, then 100% is a gin origin story, also a gin end story. Mm -hmm. But, like, if we have, like you say, a fully formed gin at the opening of this movie, it would have been probably a lot more entertaining, maybe less character development to make us, you know, have her to have like an emotional impact for us when she passes and she dies at the end of the film because I think it's very tragic because of yeah. the transformation of her and Cassie and have gone through so much together. It's a together. good third act. It's yeah. a great second half of the film, third act, which is why it's such a, a tragic moment when they die together. But I think I, I, I just really, you know, the origin stories are killing me where they're, supple- <laughs> they're putting it in everything. Everything has to be an origin story. Give me a fully formed gin for the whole movie. That probably would have been a lot cooler. Maybe not yeah. a fully formed gin. Maybe like a morally an active gin, a morally an ambiguous active gin probably would have been better. And then for the so you can you can parallel Jin's decision to go on the mission rather than go to prison. You can parallel that with Ray's decision to to find Luke Skywalker to bring BBA to him. She makes that decision on her own. She doesn't have to go. She's putting her life at stake. She can stay here and keep living her life. But instead, she want she's like I want to go on an adventure, and you can't help but feel like. Let's go, Ray. This is going to be awesome. She's making the decision, and this decision propels the plot forward. And you know who else does that? Who? Luke Skywalker. Exactly. Luke yeah. Skywalker's uncle and aunt are killed, and so his decision is to go with Obi-Wan, and I'm going to go bust some skulls and get some revenge, and I want to fight now. Exactly. I think, I think you're right. So that, that's Do you think maybe they didn't want it to, to be too much like those two characters? I don't. I, everyone loved Force Awakens when it came out. I, don't, I just think that... I think they're... The main theme of this film is hope, and I think that they're trying to infuse that into everything. You know, every character's actions and motivations are eventually led by hope, especially Jin is led by hope because her father, Galen's motivations and goals are all led by hope. You know, Galen Aracel leaving that design flaw in the Darth Sh- in the in the Death Star, that's completely based on hope. There's no there's no guarantee that anyone's going to discover that or anyone's going to find his his hologram. You know, he's leaving that message, hoping that maybe one day Jin will see it, maybe hoping one day he'll be re- reunited with Jin, hoping one day she'll be able to get that to the Alliance, to the Rebels, to get them to use the Death Plan stars, the Death Plan vulnerability to destroy the Death Star, um, which leads to the battle on Scarif. Um, you know, because before that, Jin has no hope. So maybe the screenwriters purposely eliminated all hope in her life so that one day in the script, at one point in the script, she gets the hope and it's very meaningful for her. And that happens when she hears her father's speaking to her in the hologram. Maybe give her the hope earlier on would have been better. I completely agree. I also think what happened was the fil- the writers and, and filmmakers, they were moving the big pieces and then filling in the holes with the small pieces is what I think is going on with this script. And so they had all the big elements of the big story beats, and then they're going to figure out, okay, how does Ray get from here to here? How does she get from here to here? How does she get from here to here? I think that's what they were doing when writing this. Jin? Yeah, Jin. Sorry. Keep mixing them I up. see Star Wars names, man. One-syllable names is tough. It is tough. <laughs> <It's a lot. laughs> but, I mean, that is ultimately the the big weakness and problem I have with the film because – you have an opportunity, and I know a lot of people love Jin, and she had she becomes a really good character by the third act of the film. She's driving the plot forward. She becomes a leader, but it's the first hour and a half of this movie where 
I was like, where has all of this been? And she would have been so much better and much more likable. And the plot would have felt more nuanced and geared towards her if it had been her, if she had been like this the whole time. I think it was just a really mistake, a big mistake by the writers. I think they just wanted their two lead characters to have, well, all their characters to go through transformations. You know, Cassian goes through a transformation as well, where he, you know, he was basically an assassin or a hitman for the rebellion. That's what he was. And then he's ordered to even take out Jin's father when they're on that planet, when they see the meeting between um, Krennic and and Galen and his men about the Death Star plans. And he refuses to pull the trigger, you know, out of, caring for Jin now so he's going through transformations Jin's transform transformed even Bay's not so much Sherut because Sherut is awesome you know Sherut is like the closest thing we have to a Jedi in this movie because that is a con of the movie there are no Jedi unless you count there's yeah. no lightsabers yeah no there's a lightsaber at the end of the movie oh yeah yeah, yeah Darth yeah, Vader yeah, yeah my bad but Sherut is basically the closest thing we have to a Jedi played by Donnie Yen Really great character. He's he's blind, but he's one with the Force. And I really like the concept of the Force being like a religious uh, practice around the universe and around the galaxy. And also his partner in crime, Baze, who's like the sickest shooter in the Empire. He doesn't Wicked miss sick, a shot, sick, but bro. he doesn't really believe in the Force. So I like the back and forth that they have. Yeah, I think those are two great characters in this in this group of of like anti-heroes working together to try to save band of misfits the, the galaxy and also another con i have to this film is that entire sequence going to um galen because after um Jin and them discover the message from galen they still continue their mission to find galen and for cassian to kill him ultimately they he spares him and then we all know what happens but i feel like they should have gone straight to the rebellion leaders once they heard the news of this this message and Saw the how important how how at stake the entire galaxy was by this bit of information. I mean, uh, ultimately, I think Galen is kind of like secondary to uh, the information of the Death Star. So I I saw it as a con for them, even making the entire twenty five minute sequence of going to Galen. Yeah. So Galen, we learned, agreed to work to be the one to place a weak. He agreed to work on the Death Star so that he knew he would be the one to be able to place a weakness inside the Death Star. They would have realized they didn't need him anymore at some point, and he would he had to make himself indispensable. And then the reactor module is any pressurized explosion can destroy the entire Death Star inside that module, which obviously in A New Hope, Luke Skywalker does at the end of the film in his X-Wing, super cool Jedi style, using the Force and everything. <laughs> Great moment. But this movie has... What I what I really like about this movie is it's a war film, essentially. Especially the second half, especially the third act. We have mass destruction, which is obviously terrible. But we've never really seen it on the surface in Star Wars. We'd seen planets be blown up, obviously, in the original trilogy. We even saw that in the prequel trilogy. But to be on the ground of not a planetary explosion, but the Death Star's weapon being used to destroy a city a massive city which is Jeddah. they destroy which is like a test and it's really crazy it's eerily beautiful when they're watching it from space the city being blown up but then they use it again in the third act of the film uh which ironically krennic gets taken out by his own weapon by tarkin once he takes control of it but it's it's really interesting i think and fun to get to see that operating from the ground floor but i also love again the third act when it turns into a war or war movie you know we're on the planet scarif and they're trying to get through there obviously they have the ships outside of orbit that can't get in because there's that force field and that crazy clever idea to 
crash the the battleship destroyer the destroyers into each other which fall into i don't i don't know how that would work where there's no gravity in space but they fall down into I don't it know. <laughs> no, don't ask I, questions i'm guessing the velocity That's traje- another con. the trajectory of the velocity was another you know, it was going in that direction we could say just you know picking here but um <laughs> i really like how that that's my that's my side bro yeah i got you <laughs> <laughs> it's not a perfect movie, <laughs> but I really like that. But I, and I love the ground war. You know, it's pretty epic, and the self sacrifice that happens in the third act of this film is very moving. Where every main character has a moment where they're sacrificing themselves, which is something that they've really never done before, in order to to, to now that now that they have meaning in their lives, now that they all have hope that they can be a part of something greater than themselves. I also really like the location of the third act. You know, palm trees and beautiful and beach beaches planet. and clear water. I remember they had a great poster of stormtroopers standing in in the clear um, water right on the shore, and I was like, "Wow, that's imagery you've never seen in Star Wars." So I thought they had a really creative concept for this final location, giving us something fresh and new that we had never seen in a Star Wars movie. I think it appealed to a lot of people. In the great transformation of the characters, Jin and Cassian. I think that's a strength of the film, but also we were talking about how it's a con where it took maybe they could have done this a little sooner. But they're both very similar. They've both been shaped by the Empire's actions on them for since a young age. You know, we all know Jin's story, but even Cassian reveals that he's been fighting since he was six years old. So you can assume that probably his family was also murdered by the Empire, just like um, Jin's mother was. And then Cassian's been fighting while Jin's been hiding until they're both now fighting together. And they're just a great team. They they do they're a great team and we also have an R two D two and C and three CPO cameo which is great we have Tie Fighters, X Wings we have everything in this ending battle it's great everything you want it's Star Wars sick thing. yeah it, it is, is very sick good. twenty minutes yeah it's it's sick bra it's sick bra there is a couple more things <laughs> let's go so Jin's speech I thought it was a very good speech but I just felt that every other member of the rebellion had just given up. And they all wanted to surrender. I just found that strange. Like, everyone, nobody else wants to, like, fight. And they're all just like, Jin, we can't do it. Like, that was something where I was like, I'm not sure if I totally believe, like, all the effort and work and decades of of growth, literally decades of this rebellion. And now they're just like, no, we got we to gotta give up and we got to re- resolve and we got to give in to the Empire. I found that just to be a little strange. Like, I understand they want to show Jin as being an inspiring figure, but it doesn't mean that everybody in the Rebellion has to be like, no, you're wrong, Jin. I found that a little out of place myself. In A New Hope, Luke doesn't really give a speech, right? He's just kind of just like... He's 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 just another guy. He's just another guy until he destroys the Death Star. Yeah, they all are like, oh, we got this, we got the plans. They're all like, they're all hype. Yeah, they have themselves up. And also, it was kind of out of place how, like you you talk about Jin being so hopeful after seeing her father's message, I understand that, but like it's like two minutes ago, she found out that the Rebel Alliance planned to kill her father, and that Cassian nearly killed her father. And now she's like, "We're a team, we got this." And I felt like it was just like a switch on a dime. Well, there are multiple characters that have that switch, switch on a dime. Not just Jin, yeah. but also how we were talking about Saw Gerrera. switch on the dime. Yeah, like now, I want to let myself die. Yeah, that is like you said, it's kind of just like easy screenwriting. Yeah. So there are a lot of like character mo- changes and behavior that were just like so sharp. Because it's fine for her to change, but like to change from one scene to the next in a completely different perspective, I found that just to be like a little like, I mean, this is moving way too fast. Because even like if like realistically you say you're in Jin's shoes and you spent 20 years or so, you know, hiding and and not wanting anything to do with your father, then you find out that he 
was a good guy the whole time, even though he helped build the Death Star, but he left this vulnerability, and he's telling it to you in a hologram. I guess maybe for me, it would probably take a little time to process, not just like 10 minutes later. Yeah, exactly. Possibly. I think just the script moved very quickly at times. And it was it was difficult to process and didn't make sense for characters because they should be taking their time with transformations, I think. It's Star Wars Disney movie, Playa. Hey, we're on a debate. I know, I'm we're just saying. Debate. I'm just saying. It's not like a heated debate. I'm heated. <laughs> I also, I like the Death Star because like, just like the, the ships... It's CGI rendering pretty much based off replica or, or scale size models. Uh-huh. models, which is really interesting. The details are incredible. We have some great shots of it, especially like out the window, like with uh, Krennic and Tarkin. Like you mm-hmm. can see the Death Star out the window. It's really cool. You can tell they use a lot of the LED screens um, in this film as well. And I like how it, we just got a tease of the Death Star. You know, it, it made sense to not have it blow up a planet yet, just make it blowing up cities because in a new hope i believe tarkin says something like i think it's time to show the full power of of the station mm-hmm. i think that's in a new hope where like now we can finally see what the death star really can fully do. operational it's fully operational yeah. let's blow up leia's planet and it's going to be terrible alderon is it alderon alderon yeah yeah i think so yeah yeah, I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy. It could have been really easy for a screenwriter to get carried away and be like, let's blow some planets up. But I think <laughs> it's better to just blow up some cities, which is horrible. Horrible thing to do, like Jetta blowing Jetta up. So you're, so you're approving the blowing up of cities? Not approving of it. <laughs> just saying it's better than planets. Man, choose your words wisely. But I think it's better they just teased it rather than, you know, getting carried away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the development of the entire station. I also really like the concept of Jetta, the city, and how... The the crystals are connected there because the Galactic Empire is occupied on this moon and under the control of Kyber Crystal, which was once used by the Jedi Order as components for their lightsabers. And Jin is connected to this in a way. I think it's their I think it's their way of connecting her to the Force is with her necklace, which has a Kyber Crystal on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that's always meaning been meaningful to her. And so I like that concept of the Jedi on Jeddah on this planet with the Kyber Crystals, but then unfortunately it does get blown up by the Death Star. And also the Empire uses the same weapon as the Jedi. If you look at it that way. In a way, yeah. Yeah. That's really ironic. Yeah. I think that there's a really smart way of uh, portraying the connection. Really good stuff. Opposite sides. Really good stuff. Because the Kyber Crystal is what powers the Death Star. Exactly. Now, Krennic, uh, he he does have a great part to play in trying to stop them. And he gets very close to stopping them. And then we get like the cliche, we get the cliche ending of the villain finally catches the good guy. Any monologues? So Krennic... Catches Jin right as she's literally about to put the hard drive into the antenna. And he's just hold, he's holding her at gunpoint. And then he just goes on a monologue. And then Cassie shoots him from behind. And I was like, how many times have we seen this in movies? Yeah. Are we going to see it like, it's like again? The kid, it's like the kid with the inhaler. Yeah, it's yeah, the kid with the <laughs> inhaler. It's like, oh my God. Did they just, I, I watched it for the first time and I, was, I rolled my eyes. And I was like... It was just getting good. Like, come it's on, fine, guys. It's fine and die hard. It's like, if you're going to shoot somebody, don't just talk about it. <laughs> do it. Thanks for the advice. Do, 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 do. But, but I mean, man, you're right. We, you're right. You're yeah, right. There's yeah. nothing to combat that. Yeah. You, you can't combat it. I was like, come, I was like, come on. It was getting good. <laughs> I got you. Now, hold on. 
Hold on. Hold on. I got some things to get off my chest. I want to talk. <laughs> I know there's a war raging. You've had way too much screen time. You hold on to the hard drive. Wait. Wait. Wait, wait, wait another minute. I have a voice. And you're going to hear me, Jin Urso. <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah. It's valid. And I mean, that's so, I think... I know if you love, I know a lot of people love this movie. I understand. And I can see why you love it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't like this movie. That's not what I'm saying. This is just like, for me, I, I, I like to hold the Star Wars at a high standard because it is, I think Star Wars is one of the greatest properties ever made in film. But in terms of holding it to a high standard, can you say that since Disney bought it? Not really. No. That's where the, yeah. the, that's the point. I, I think overall is like, can you be too critical of these movies because of what they are? Not that they aren't still cool. But they're not obviously what the original prequel, I mean, the original trilogy was. Yeah. I mean, you know, the mythos has been diluted. The characters have been diluted. The storylines have been done over and over again, just like any mega franchise. But this was before it was over, over done. This was only 2017, you know? 2016. 2016. So, facts, still, right? so it was still a while ago. It was, it was only Force of Weekends had come out. True. So it was before all the TV shows. It was before all was the, it? yeah, it was before all this uh, saturation of Star Wars content. So I think it's still okay to hold it to a high standard. But there are some other things that I do like. You know, I I like the concept of the politics and the tyranny. You get the 1984 veal, especially when they're on Jeddah on the ground, you know, where they're you can see with the citizens they're under storm stormtrooper control. It's like the party in 1984, you have to help them find these villains that are on the run and stuff like that. I really like how stormtroopers actually hit their targets in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not like... I wish there was a Jedi in here somewhere, but again, Sheru is the closest thing. I like the dark and gritty nature of it. Again, cinematography is fantastic. Again, we want more Vader. I do like the concept of the Force here being projected as more of like a, a religion around the galaxy. It's really cool. I love the Force. I also really love the callback to Yavin 4. We get to go back there. Remember, this is in A New Hope. This is the base of the Rebellion, basically, in Star Wars A New Hope. That's where the celebration at the end was. It's there, so it's really cool to be the, there again. It's the base that Vader questions Leia about in the first movie. Yeah, so I like going back there. So there's a lot of cool callbacks to A New Hope because I think they were trying to connect to that movie most of all. And, you know, the Vader scene at the end is just amazing. It's the, it's the best part of the film, and it was just so well done. It's uh, one of the best action sequences ever done in, in Star Wars history. And maybe, yeah, I, I agree. Darth Vader going God mode is incredible. <laughs> you know, this is something we always have wanted. Darth Vader at the height of his powers. What would it really look like with modern filmmaking, with modern practicality, modern effects? And man, they did not disappoint. It is one of the most epic science fiction scenes of all time. So my question, watching Vader watch Leia's ship get away... I mean, I understand that Vader wants to question Leia about the location of the base. That's what she, what they do in the opening of A New Hope. But it just doesn't seem like too much to make too much sense to let her get away and not just blow up the ship as it's flying away. Well, she's also a political power pawn. Yeah, but she has the the information about the Death Star that he that he killed all those guys for. Yeah, well, freaking Star Wars, man. <laughs> Chill the f out. <laughs> Can just blow Princess Leia up. She's a princess. Maybe he has a crush on her. Maybe his the own daughter. Maybe because he, he feels knows this is. Maybe he feels the force in her, and he's connected to her. He's like, I can't just blow her up. I don't know what's going through his head. 
He could just force pull one of the. You know, and again, he's bipolar. <laughs> I think it's because she's a political pawn, and he wants to know the information that she knows. I think he just wants more information. Good point. Information, knowledge is power, especially in the empire. He likes information. He does like info. Yeah. You got anything else to say? No, I'm done. You done? <laughs> I hope no one hates well, me. Well, I now. like this movie. I think it's a it's a pretty. I good know movie. a lot of people like yeah. it. I know it's a divisive movie. I would say. I think you, you either love or hate it. Yeah. That wraps our episode on Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Really hope you enjoyed this one. And take care. Thanks for tuning in around the world. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Don't forget you get access to our Discord for the $10 and $25 tier patrons. Watch parties are coming soon. We're doing Shrek very soon. It was the number one voted movie to watch, and it's been so much fun. Take care. Have a great day. May the force be with you. Thanks so much for tuning in to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to subscribe if you're new. Hit the like button. Leave a comment. Find us on all audio streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us. Find us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to check out one of these other videos right here for more content on our favorite films and breaking down all kinds of movie content. Thanks so much.